In the Park Festival is back in Newcastle, and you could be there watching headliner Rag and Bone Man. We have two pairs of tickets to give away to see Rag and Bone Man on Sunday the 5th of May. He'll be joined by Newcastle-born singer-songwriter and brother to Sam, the hugely talented Liam Fender. To be in with a chance of winning two tickets, just answer the following question. What is the real first name of Rag and Bone Man? Is it Reginald, Rory or Colin? To enter, download the free Durham On Air app for your smartphone or tablet, click on Win, and you could be in Newcastle watching Rag and Bone Man on the 5th of May. Entries close at 11pm on May the 2nd. For full terms and conditions, visit durhamonair.com. Your station. The Durham Podcast. Durham on air. Hello, welcome to the Durham Podcast. My name is Sam Lupton. And my name is Emma Hignett. How are you this week? (laughs) I'm good. I'm wonderful, actually. Um, I am feeling festive because there's Christmas lights gone up and things. Yes, yes. Um, I'm never quite sure when they should start to appear, but they do start to appear right now. My favourite one is in Newton Aycliffe and it's a, a it's like as high as the house and it's an inflatable Grinch. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Did you see the news story this week about the uh, the guy near Stockton who has covered his house in Christmas lights and he started designing it back in January and he started putting them up at the beginning of September and they had a big old switch on uh, last no, week. No, I haven't seen this. It's absolutely... Yeah, Google it. Christmas lights. It's absolutely covered, and it's to to raise money for um for charity. Um, yeah. I think is I think it is it Stillington. Is that the village um near Stockton? Stillington. If you Google Stillington Christmas, let me just Google it now. Uh, there you go, Walter's Christmas lights. Um, and he lives in Stillington, and I think he's called Andrew. I think it, is it Andrew Wal- uh, Walters? Um, I think, but they look absolutely amazing. Um. It, it, it's stunning and all the pictures are there on facebook <gasps> and it, oh my god look at that imagine living next door to that i know <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to get blackout blinds and so, some people have been There's saying a... about the electricity but he says it well they're yeah. all led so there's hardly any kind of power usage it's um and it's been see he's gone viral on tiktok <laughs> he's been viewed more than 1.5 million times on tiktok the cost of the electric's being covered by a sponsor a business sponsor and it's all to, to raise money for, for charity, I believe. Please feel free to sit in the sleigh. You can sit in the sleigh and it's to raise money for the Teenage Cancer Trust. Well, good on him. Which is absolutely amazing. And there, it looks there fantastic. Is, there is a village in North Yorkshire near Richmond. Uh, I'm thinking it's Skeeby, mm-hmm. where a whole load of the houses, they don't go like that, but a, like, you know, about 10 houses in a row all do masses of Christmas lights. And you're driving through going, oh my God, where are I? <laughs> Yeah, I tell you what though, it'd make you feel insecure if you lived next door, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, <laughs> you've got to kind of go. We've got to put more effort in. We're, we're going to have to make an effort. Yeah, yeah. So if you fancy heading over to Stillington, um, I mean, it's a small village. I don't think you'll miss the house. Are you going to miss it? <laughs> no, you can probably see the light from over the hills. <laughs> You can probably see it from space, to be honest. Yeah, you probably can. Um, and that's not the only light thing happening in Durham, obviously, this week. We've had Lumiere Festival happening. Mixed reviews for Lumiere on on Twitter. Um, I have to admit, I, I went 
on Wednesday into Durham before Lumiere happened. So I saw quite a lot of the installations, but at that point, not lit. It's kind of, I think so, that it doesn't quite give you the full impact, does it, if quite, they're not on? No, no, it's not quite the same. No. And <laughs> um, the cathedral looks very good. I've seen some of the cathedral stuff on social media. Yes, that's an installation that's been elsewhere. Oh, um, right. And it looked quite, you know, just lovely sitting there when it wasn't lit. So I can imagine it was beautiful, that one. And I think it had some kind of interactivity where if you held some part of the display, it would react to your heartbeat. Oh, yes. There's an installation called Pulse. Is that what you're that thinking of? Yes. Yeah. That, that sounds really good. Um, mm. I mean, by the time you're hearing this podcast, it's probably all finished and done because we're yeah. recording this yeah. on the last day. But <laughs> if you um, if you went to Lumiere, we're kind of interested in your views on it. Studio at DurhamOnAir.com is the email address if you want to get in touch or at DurhamOnAir on social media. Um, but uh, yeah, mi- mixed responses. Some people say it's lovely and a, a lovely walk. Other people being a bit whingy about it. Um, I, I mean, I, I do think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing for Durham. I think it's a great thing. Um and I've been in the past and I've really enjoyed it. The one, the one thing is to get, you know, everywhere's got to be dark for it to work, which means you have to do it in this time of the year. And the weather is hit, hit or miss. And this week hasn't exactly been great. So it can be quite a miserably wet one. It can be. <laughs> Unfortunately. It can or be. Cold. Wrap it warm and, and take good yeah. boots. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's quite a walk as well. If you're going to go through the whole thing. You are walking quite some distance. You're doing a big walk. And if you're local to Durham, um, what I've done in the past is split it over a couple of nights. I've done yeah. like I've done a little bit on the Thursday, a little bit on the Friday, instead of doing like a sort of six hour thing where you still wouldn't see everything if you just went in one evening. You'd have to be a bit selective because obviously this year, some of it's in Bishop Auckland as well. Yes. And I couldn't work out from their Their, their app wasn't very good at promoting what was in Bishop Auckland. No, that's an improvement to suggest for next time. But if you go on the yeah. website, you can see what's on at Bishop Auckland. It's in the middle of Bishop Auckland. Can't miss it. It's at, it's at the Auckland project. I yeah, I, I could work out where it was, but I couldn't work out from the app what it was. Yeah, right. But that might just have been me. But it was after so long, you give up trying, don't you? Well, if you went to Bishop Auckland, let him know what it was. Uh, at Durham <laughs> on Hair on social media. Um, it's a really long episode of the podcast today. Got loads of stuff to offer you. What are you offering, Em? I am back at the cathedral. This is why I was in the cathedral on Wednesday. I was chatting to Michael Hempel um, about the upcoming events at the cathedral. I mean, we we were mainly to chat about the children's lantern procession on the 2nd of December oh, yeah. and the uh, St. Nicholas service that they all parade up to. Um, but also we ch- chatted about what's coming up in the run up to Christmas and some of his favourite things. Brilliant. Um, we've got a number of chats this week. We'll be going over to Barnard Castle with Stuart Laundy. I am chatting to Fatima Whitbread, the um, wow. Olympian. Yeah. Who, would you believe, won her first like ever championship in Durham? Did she? She did. And she's got a soft spot for Durham. And Fatima is currently kind of heading a campaign to essentially recruit new foster parents because um, Fatima Whitbread was was a foster child um, and oh. I believe was adopted and so we, we have a lovely chat about that but she was so generous with her time um, we're talking about fostering so the, the link to Durham you know isn't particularly strong but it was such a lovely chat and she has a connection to Durham that I wanted to share that with you um, but coming closer to home um, the Stockton Globe is going to be hosting Soul to Soul later this month um, remember Soul to Soul? They sang Back to Life, Back to Reality. Do you remember them? Yes, I yeah. do, yeah. Uh, so Soul to Soul are coming to Stockton Globe. And Jazzy B, um, the, the music producer, DJ from Soul to Soul, gave us an amazing interview this week with Damien on the Drive Time Show. So I'm going to share that one with you as well. 
brilliant. So it's a it's a packed show. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you went to Lumiere, hope you loved it. And please do let us know what it was like. Get in touch on socials. Get in touch on email. And uh, we'll be back in sort of 10 days, two weeks or so to uh, to bring you more stuff that's happening around Durham. Until then, stay safe, stay safe, Emma, and enjoy the podcast. And you have fun, whatever you're doing. The Durham Podcast with Sam Lupton and Emma Hignett. Into the heart of Durham this time, Durham Christmas Festival is on the way. The first weekend of December, Durham will be transformed, um, this is to the girls, transformed into shopper's heaven. Just warning you. Uh, but but also beyond that, as well as all the shopping, uh, there are some very special events for families that are planned. So I popped up to Durham Cathedral to speak with Canon Michael Hempel about the Children's Lantern Parade and the St. Nicholas service. Um, so this starts with Michael Hempel introducing himself. Hello, I'm Michael Hempel and I'm the presenter of Durham Cathedral, which means I'm the member of the clergy who organises all of the big services here. And we are sitting in quite a quite an impressive setting to do this interview. We had to move out of the nave of the cathedral because they are tuning the organ. They are indeed, yes. And, and it's all right for a few minutes, but it can get a bit difficult on the ear. It was better than when I time. arrived. It was quite high pitched, and <laughs> ah, it had come down a bit. So well, it was. We're much better off here in the Galilee Chapel, which, of course, is the setting for uh, Bede's tomb. So this was the Shrine of the Venerable Bede. How long has this been here? So it's this slightly... This precedes the cathedral, doesn't it? No, it's slightly younger than the cathedral. Oh. So it would have been uh, added towards the end of the, the building of the main cathedral. But then it, it, it started sort of slipping off its perch... Uh, and was in danger of falling down into the river. So in the 15th century, the bishop of the day uh, kind of rebuilt it. So it's largely an early 15th century chapel. Wonderful, amazing setting. Now, my purpose in coming to talk to you was to talk about the children and the lantern procession coming up at the beginning of December. But before we do that, you look worried suddenly. Before we do that, you can't ignore the fact that we're here on Wednesday the 15th of November and the nave of the cathedral is full of lights and the chapter house is currently having the most amazing candelabra installed in it for Lumiere. That's right. The cathedral has become, I don't want to say so much more than a cathedral, but it's a cultural heart in many ways for Durham. It is, and, and it's a kind of crossroads for all sorts of different types of people, types of event that go on here. And that's very dynamic and very exciting. And of course, Lumiere, we expect about 120,000 people to pour through the doors over each of those nights. Each night? Uh, no, across the oh, four nights. Across say. the four wow. nights. Even we couldn't manage them all in one night. But uh, although it feels like that in some of the big carol services at Christmas. But um, they will come through over those four nights. And, of course, the cathedral looks stunning without Lumiere, but to have that enhanced sense of what light can do to a building is very exciting. I was at Lux Morales a few weeks ago, um, not knowing what to expect, but the nave... I, mean, I think we stood in the nave of the cathedral for 
half an hour, mm. just sort of immersed in this amazing projection. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And, and of course, uh, back in the Middle Ages, light would also have been very important, but it would have been entirely candlelight. Mm. But that itself does extraordinary things to the architecture. If you're in here in the evening and you're doing some sort of special service by candlelight, that has its own sort of um, means of, of, of causing you, you to be greatly inspired by the place. So my entire purpose of contacting you at first was because on the 2nd of December, uh, as part of Durham Christmas Festival, uh, the children's lantern procession is back, which is where they leave the marketplace carrying their lanterns and come up to the St. Nicholas service. We love that. It's one of our favourite moments because the sight of all those little children coming and clutching their lanterns and again bringing light into the space in another different way um, is really inspiring. And of course, it allows us to tell the story of St. Nicholas, which is the real story about Father Christmas. But also it allows us to just pause for a moment in the busyness of life and say, hey, you know, say a prayer here in this special sacred space. And it's a real family occasion it with is. music and readings. And it is indeed. And, and the children come in first. They're the VIPs and they all come to the front of the church and, and sit on the floor. Not for too long. It's quite a cold floor <laughs> to sit on, but uh, they're, they're usually well wrapped up. And then mums and dads and carers gather around. Uh, and, and we have storytelling. And I think it's one of those moments when one remembers that despite all the modern technology and so on, um, there is nothing better than storytelling, real storytelling. And then that's the start, really, of Christmas season for you here in the cathedral, which must be, one, very busy, but two, an extremely fulfilling time. It is, it is busy and it is fulfilling. But again, one of the lovely things about it is it's a crossroads for lots of different types of people coming to make their own sort of response to the Christmas story and lots of different organisations because we have all of our own carol services and concerts, but also a lot of external organisations come in to hold their carol services. So one of them, for example, will be the NHS come, uh, and and this year they're going to turn it into a celebration of their 75th anniversary. They come, some of the colleges come, lots of the schools come, MenCap comes. Now the MenCap carol service is probably the most moving thing that we do in any moment of the year. I mean, it is incredible. Those fabulous people come and tell the story of Christmas. Uh, and, and, and I can assure you there isn't a dry eye in the house. I bet they raise the roof as well. They do, they absolutely do. And there's always, uh, the, the, the organiser always makes sure that one of her friends, um, it, 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 she looks for a friend who's pregnant at the time, so that who's going to give birth in oh. December. <laughs> so the baby Jesus is always played by a newborn baby, That's... and that is true. Wow. That was... <laughs> <laughs> wow, That's quite... Yeah. yeah. Really special. She must have friends. No, we don't want to go timing their, their whole lives around. <laughs> she, she challenges them all, I think. But there was a lovely moment one year. I remember when uh, when 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 Haley had to go over with a uh, you know a dummy and put it in baby Jesus's <laughs> mouth, and I thought that was a new twist on the story. <laughs> so, what's the highlight for you, personally? It's it's interesting. I mean, midnight mass uh, uh, on, be Christmas on Christmas Eve. Eve. That's right. Eleven o'clock on on the twenty fourth. That's that's a real moment because to be in church as the clock strikes midnight and the bishop's there 
and again the half light and, and the atmosphere that's terrific and to sing the the verse of oh come all ye faithful that you can't sing until then when, when we all sing born this happy morning uh you know that that's really lovely but the other one that's very nice is actually on christmas day there are lots of services of course on christmas day but we we, we still do choral even song at 3 30 on christmas day people think we'll all have gone home by then We've but all we, had we too hang much on red yeah, wine well no we hang on there's sometimes the old glass of red wine but we hang on and, you know, there are lots of people here. A former dean used to say, oh, it's just all the husbands getting out of washing up. Um, but actually, there's, there's, there are hundreds of people here at Coral Evensong on Christmas Day at 3.30, which is lovely. I have a friend who sings, and her children sing as well. Oh. And I imagine, you know, the sound of... Because of the architecture, because of the shape, because of the organ, and because you have an exceptional choir here, yep. it must sound... It must make Christmas sound just breathtaking it does and of course in the again going back to the middle ages there were no microphones you could only be heard if you sang so the medieval monks in the monastery that everything was sung and the acoustic is designed to be able to carry not so much the spoken voice but very much the sung voice Uh, and therefore we always say you know the cathedral choir is the voice of the cathedral it's been wonderful talking to you if people want to find out dates times of events in the cathedral, how do they do that? The, the cathedral website will have everything you need to know. You don't need to book uh, tickets for any of the services, just turn up. There are one or two concerts where you do need to book tickets, but anything that's a service, just turn up. And the St Nicholas procession, uh, that, that's one to come to, definitely. Wonderful. It's been brilliant talking to you. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I did enjoy that. I felt, I felt, quite, I felt quite privileged Um, It was just a lovely chat, and what a setting. Anyway, lots of links coming up now for you. Head to www.durhamchristmasfestival.com. Most importantly, to reserve the children's lanterns for the Lantern Parade. The parade takes place on the afternoon of Saturday the 2nd of December from the marketplace up to the cathedral for the St. Nicholas service. On that website, you can also find lots of information about Durham Christmas Festival, the sites of the markets, who's going to be in the markets, uh, and also you can get discounted entry to the craft and producers marquee on Palace Green, so long as you buy it in, in advance online. And then also, of course, we talked about a lot of events coming up um, at Durham Cathedral over the next few weeks as we head up to Christmas. So for anything happening at the cathedral, you head to website www, obviously, durhamcathedral.co.uk The Durham Podcast with Sam Lupton and Emma Hignett Soul to Soul are bringing their Feel Free Tour to Stockton Globe in just a couple of weeks time which is very exciting indeed they've won two Grammy Awards been nominated for five Brit Awards among many other things I'm sure and I'm thrilled to have the incredible Jazzy B on the show tell us all about it Jazzy B hi welcome to Durham Drive and Durham How's it going out there? We're we're chilly up here (laughs) How are you? Oh, the wind's blowing, is it? That storm's still about, they're knocking about. Up there. The storm is still knocking about, but you never know up north. It, it, one minute it's sunny, one minute there's a storm. But, you know, you'd experience uh, that in we, a couple we, of weeks. We Yeah, we get it all later. You do get it all later. <laughs> Down south. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's an absolute privilege to have you on. Um, and you're oh, going to be up here much. in just a couple of weeks. Like, it's going to be an incredible night. Uh, how, how's yes. it going at the minute? Fantastic. I've got to tell you, Damien, the, the, the 
the result of um, all those seeds sown so many moons ago. Yeah. It's really incredible to watch um, the different generations in the audience now as well, which is quite lovely. And um, yeah, I reckon this agent's done pretty decent on this 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 round of gigs because it's um, it's been very cosy. And like I said, it's just been incredible just looking at the the, dif- the different generations and um, just seeing how cool our generation really is. It's pretty amazing. Very, very cool indeed. I was watching some clips of your <coughs> Albert Hall gig, uh, which was not that long ago. And, you know, what, what I found about watching that is, as massive as the Albert Hall is, it still looked really intimate. How did it feel that? It's- it's an amazing venue. I mean, all said and done, um, it's a venue that every musician, you know, wants to play in because it it, it really does feel like a Shakespeare theatre. Yeah. Like when, when you're, like you said, it's so vast, but <clears throat> the audience feel like they're on you. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, I've been doing this for a few moons myself, so the different venues tend to generate a different energy and a different vibe. But, um, yeah, the Royal Apple Hall, I've got to say, Damien, is, um, it, it's, it's special. It's iconic, the isn't it? The energy, the vibes, it's, it's soaked in so much history, even post the fire. Um, and, again, the layout, sonically, it's, it's pretty incredible as well. Um, and we pay a lot of attention to that side, probably more so than production. Um, but what goes on, especially moving about now, it's different when it's like one-off show or something like that. But um, when you're moving around, my ethos of the sound system rains heavily on um, you know the places that we go. And, and yeah, the, the selection of venues with the audience... Um, I'll tell you what, 30-odd years in the game, I never would have imagined being around, you know, um, never mind being, you know, performing in the way that I have been post-1990. And there is no show that is the same. It's, 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 I, I don't, it's not even work. It's, it's, it's such a pleasure to go out at this level and at this stage of the one's career and um, still be nervous and have like butterflies and stuff. And, and then as soon as you engage with the audience, it's like, it's, it's like a homecoming. You know what? Sometimes the energy is coming a bit like a wedding reception in terms of the feel and the energy. And the reason why, I put it on that spectrum is because, you know, I'm a DJ as well. Yeah. So you do get that energy where you get the mixture of the audience and, and, and then the, the couple expect to hear a particular song and so on and so forth. I've got to say, fellas, we got it down to an art now. Yeah. Loving it. <laughs> it sounds it. And, and from what I saw, some of the clips, like everyone in Stockton's in for an absolute treat uh, in a few weeks. Have you been to Stockton no before? Of course I have. <laughs> I'm in the football malarkey, and I so I've been up and down all the nooks and crannies of um, 
um, all all over Britain, you know, for my sins, I'm an, I'm a football coach as well. I do that as um, something like, I don't know, I guess it's a bit of a hobby or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I look after kids playing football. And so, or rather, I say, let me rephrase that. I used to, until the last lot of kids, um, they all turned pro. So, um, yeah, it's something that's nice on the old CV and it's very rewarding, um, particularly, you know, from the grassroots level. A little bit like ourselves, really, as we come up. But, yeah, football and music, they're kind of inseparably linked. And, and I guess I'm blessed because my son's also a footballer. That's amazing. I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. And a lot, lot to fit in as well doing that and, and, and obviously doing music and touring and everything ah, else that you do. Like, busy, busy, man. Charles play, mate. <laughs> it's like putting on a pair of jeans that you're accustomed to wearing, you know? It's, um, yeah, well-engineered and well-worn in. No, I I, I have a great, um, I've got to say, in retrospect, um, this part of what's going on was never really on the canvas, as it were. And it's been a very steady build, um, I guess in this climate, I'd almost say organic, gluten-free. Um, not exactly macrobiotic, but, you know, <laughs> it's pretty clean out there. Yeah. And uh, I, I probably had the best of the times, you know, along with the worst ones, which, you know, almost balances itself out when you've had such a lengthy time in the game and you're still interested because I'm surrounded by a lot of young'uns as well. Um, hey, I'm constantly inspired. And I, I still go out there, I go to gigs, you know, I hang out, go to the games, go to the pictures. You know, just all, I'm lucky I, I can do all the normal things as well. And, um, you know, just really appreciate all the beauty that's around us, you know. So... Say there's someone who's a hardcore fan, right, of, of Soul to Soul and yourself, and, they're, and they're, they're bringing along someone who's never seen you before. They've probably heard your music in the car, but they've never seen you. How would you sell that to them before they go to go make sure you turn up at 7 o'clock on that day? I'll just tell them to drink lots of water 24 hours before. How about it's that? a sensible thing, do you know what I mean? They've got to keep hydrated. Do you know what I mean? It's like drink drink enough water 24 hours before and um, <laughs> come in there with no inhibitions, just absorb the energy. And believe it or not, it will be their energy transferring to us that will make the show for them, yeah. if that makes any sense. Do you know what I mean? So, so the idea of the show really is that our community coming together again, like I said, you know, it's a bit like um, that energy of love and of all the great things that were happening when this music first hit you. Yeah. The fact that those people in the audience that have invested are a real part of this growth. Yeah. This is a this is a music generation that happened during an interesting transient time post that period yes so therefore all of the the energy and the ethos of what the music is about reflects a time in our lives and that energy is all positive energy that again once you're in the venue and you're transferring you know, what's in your imagination how you're feeling and also looking to be inspired 
it's a mix of all of those things that are the natural ingredients that allow us to absorb the vibe and the groove. And then we go with a happy face, a thumping bass for a loving race for a couple of hours. Come on, Damien. What else are they going to want to do? Drink some water. Do you know what I mean? Be hydrated. That is what you've got to come with. And, um, let your let your energy and what surrounds you do the rest. It's going to be amazing. I, I cannot wait. I'm so excited about it. Do, do you still enjoy touring, Jazzy? I've like so many years doing it. Do you, do you still enjoy getting around and you know seeing all these? Places? You know what's going to sound weird about that? Yeah. Hell yes. Yeah. And the part I enjoy most is the preparation. The preparation then allows me to then engage with what's going on. And it's just that little that little point of when I've done the prep or been around the prep and I'm hearing the audience's anticipation, I don't know how it happens, but it's like feathers. They all sort of spinning around and everything just falls into place. Yeah. That for me is the golden point because it feels like all one's efforts and one, you know, you're preparing, you're preparing, you're going through the process of that. I don't know if it's superstition or something, because I kind of have that in football as well. Got to wear these particular socks. I've got to yeah. put that particular hat on and all that. And you know I'm a hat man, do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Um, it, it's a little bit like that. So, yeah, there's that just that one little point there when I'm coming on stage after all the prep and everything, you know, I can still smell the diesel still got bits of splinters in me hand for moving cabinets and stuff um <laughs> make that what you want but um yeah so it's it's really it and it's just that that energy when that audience brings ah uh, uh, mate it's like a, a blank you know like a comforter yeah yeah, yeah. on a temper mattress come oh. on some of that um, yeah, or my my temper pillow, which I absolutely love. Another. Oh, stop you know. it now. Now you're showing off, isn't you? Oh, yeah. it's, good. <laughs> it's good for the neck. You know, I've reached 40 now and it's, it needs needs comfort. <laughs> uh, we all do, mate. We all do. <laughs> How do you relax <laughs> after that gig? So obviously there's so much going on and it sounds like this. There's so much energy. How do you, when you walk out of that venue, how do you chill after? I really, you know what? And again, I think because I do so many things behind the scene, I I want to bring that um, jet stream from the stage and that energy and the doors open and it comes backstage. Damien, everyone who's behind there that's been prepping has a smile on their face a little bit like yours right now. I, I bet they have. Job done, fella. Job done. That's and, it. And 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 when you're leaving the venue and and you 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 you're anticipating seeing these people again, it's like the best ticket, you know. Um, so there's something you come in, you do your prep, you're around these people, everyone's concentrating, you know, doing their part and everything, and then you you when you're finishing, you, the doors open the jet stream of love and energy is flowing and it goes all the way through the back of the building and the security person at the back has got a smile on their face like that. You get in your motor or you get on the bus and you just think, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've achieved something, you know? Yeah. And and um, I guess superstitiously, that's what I go for as well yeah. all the time. Yeah. 
Well, I tell you now, if someone's listening to this and they don't fancy going, well, there's something wrong with them because it's, it's going to be an incredible night. The way you've described it is just amazing. So we are so excited about it up here at Stockton. The venue is beautiful. It's going to be a, a lovely, intimate venue. It sounds beautiful in there as well because um, it's obviously quite newly renovated. So, you know, enjoy it. Have a great time. I look forward to it. Um yeah, you guys pull up, man. We'll have a ball. We It'll will. be great. It's going to be amazing. Cheers. Listen, we're going to play uh, Back to Life now here on Durham Drive. Would you be an absolute legend to introduce it for us? No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. This is the original Funky Dread, and I'm looking forward to the show in Stockton. And here's a little bit of a tease for you, and I hope it brings you all back to life, back to reality. The Durham Podcast with Sam Lupton and Emma Hignett. So that was a top 20 hit for Wavelength. It was their one and only hit back in 1982, and it was written by a chap called Steve Thompson, who's a County Durham songwriter. He's been writing songs for more than 50 years. He's got a new album coming out in a couple of days' time, so I've caught up with him for a bit of a chat, and I began by asking him to give us a two-minute potted history of his songwriting career. I'm, I'm basically a County Durham lad, really, sort of. I was born in concert, went to work in the steelworks there back in the late 60s. And I formed a band called Bullfrog. And um, we did quite well. We did a lot of gigging around the region and got a record deal and got absolutely nowhere. But I still had a a yen. So I took to producing and songwriting. And um, as I was um, setting out to to learn the art of songwriting, um, and I studied the greats like, Bird Bacharach, uh, Lennon McCartney, Carol King, all that stuff. And um, I got offered the job as being a house producer at a studio in Wall's End. Um, and I was producing all sorts of stuff folk, uh, rock, pop. And um, I was still working on the, the notion of becoming a songwriter. And um, so eventually I quit. Uh, I had nothing going on. Um, I just quit uh, with the the stupidity of youth thinking, there'll be something around the corner. Uh, and there was uh, a whole bunch of hits. Um, thank goodness. And uh, the, f- the first thing that um, happened was a sort of an antidote to the heavy metal. It was a, a, a pop song, a, a, a sort of slushy ballad called Hurry Home. Uh, it was massive in the UK and it was in the charts for about three months. Uh, and then loads of people started to record my material. If you just Google Steve Thompson songwriter, you'll come to a Wikipedia page. Uh, well, the whole track listing is, is on there. Um, and you, you gave me two minutes, so I better stop there. <laughs> but there's a lot more I could say. I'll just leave it there. And so we fast forward to a couple of years ago where you put out an album called The Long Fade, which is essentially your band recording your songs that you'd written for other for other artists. And now we fast forward a couple more years and we come to uh, the difficult second album, which is Distant Destination. So what's what's the, what's what's prompted this album and, and what are the where where have the songs come from this album? Are they are they more songs that other people have recorded of yours or are these fresh songs? No, these are these are new songs. Um, this is an album 
it's had a few false starts, uh, but it's an album born of lockdown. And so the first, the, the title track, Distant Destination, it's a nice song, but if you listen carefully to the lyric, there's a lot of me in there. Um, it was very, it's very contemplative. It's um, and it sounds like there were two people talking, um, in this lyric, but there isn't. There's only one, uh, and it's essentially me. But uh, on the album, it's Jen Normandale's took the vocals on, and it's just absolutely fantastic. So, armed with that, I started to write some more new songs um and it's all fairly contemplative um and uh a couple of them were pre-existing songs there's one song i recorded called i will go back and i went and did a pop video because i went back to the old town of concert uh i will go back one day when the lines are gone you'll find me there we went to the the location of the old or train lines and recorded a, a video there. Uh, I had remade contact with a, a chap who was my very first session player from the village I came from, a place called Flint Hill, County Durham. Again, there you go. Um, and we went into the studio one day as a sort of just a bit of a reunion and uh, recorded this song. And I put a vocal on it and blow me, I sang in tune. It, it, so I put it out with my vocal on and I've since done a few vocals on the album. Um, and there's one particular one, which is it's the one that uh, closes the album called The Parting of the Clouds. Um, it's actually my life story. Now, as I mentioned, the album is released this week, this, this Friday, uh, but you've also got something special planned to launch it uh, next month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, December the 27th, uh, I'm doing a, a show at the um, the White Room Music Cafe in Stanley. Surprise, surprise. Um, it's just a venue that I've, I like the sound of. It's small, intimate. It's cut down, so you hear the songs as they left the writer's pen. It's just very, just acoustic guitar and very light keyboards and um, percussion. And it, the songs come across really well. Uh, so we're going to launch the album uh, on that date, 27th of December. And uh, 10 lucky people at that gig will get a free copy of the CD. And you can find much more information about Steve Thompson's new album, Distant Destination, uh, online. Go to steve-thompson.org.uk or search for him on social media. The Durham Podcast with Sam Lupton and Emma Hignett. Over half of UK councils have seen an increase in young people going into care in the last 12 months, with 10,500 foster carers now urgently needed across the country, a staggering 50% increase on previous estimations. The data shows that over 70,000 children are in foster care and councils across the UK are urgently recruiting for more carers. National Fostering Group, the largest network of independent fostering agencies in the UK, is launching a recruitment campaign to help meet this urgent demand. Now, 
We all know that Olympian Fatima Whitbread showed resilience and strength as she broke records, won Olympic, World and European medals and numerous sports personality awards while representing Great Britain in the javelin. But she also showed that resilience through the care system in her early life as well. And she joins me over the Internet. Good morning, Fatima. Hi, how are you? It's nice to be with you. I'm good, thank you. We've also got Steve Christie here as well. Steve is the CEO of National Fostering Group. Good morning, Steve. Hi, Sam. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on and and chatting about this this really, really important issue. Uh, Fatima, we'll start with you, if that's okay. Um, A lot of people will obviously know you for your sporting achievements, your amazing career uh, over the decades. Fewer people will know about your experience of of the care system. Would you be kind enough to Mm. share with us a couple of your early memories of of childhood as part of the care system? Well, firstly, um, I was abandoned as a baby. Some would say left to die. And uh, a neighbor heard a baby crying and hadn't seen anybody come or go to the flat. So she called the police mm. who, who came and banged the door down and rescued that baby. And that was myself. And uh, I was in hospital for about six months with malnutrition and nappy rash. And then, of course, uh, in that period of time, uh, I was made a water court by Hackney Borough Council, um, and which I've, I spent uh, the first the, the 14 years of my life in children's homes. So this is a cause that's very close to my heart. I'm very passionate about helping these young children. And uh, definitely, I mean, there's, uh, like I said before, on many occasions, there's 4.2 million children that are living in poverty at the moment. There's about 800,000 families living on the food banks, 105,000 in the care system. Uh, it can only get worse as the weeks go by. And of course, uh, we're a shorted nationwide of somewhat 10,000 uh, foster carers. So, yeah, I'm looking to try and help uh, with the national uh, foster groups to try and get uh, uh, find uh, people that will foster these children, give them a love and secure home so they can, uh, you know, feel the stability and feel loved and, and seen and heard. Uh, and, emo- and their emotional needs being met, which is so important today. You know, yeah. um, at the end of the day, we need to be able to 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 think about what our futures, uh, children's future is all about. And there's no reason why you know you can't find the love in your in your heart and in and the space in your home to give these children that opportunity to thrive. We do a lot of talking on the program about the cost of living crisis. We've been talking about that now for over a year. And I think you alluded to it there, that especially in areas like the Northeast, the Northwest, the Midlands, um, all of this stuff is linked. You know, if we're seeing the number of children in care going up, that, that is sort of linked to the number of families who are, for mm-hmm. example, using food banks or unemployment numbers in, in certain regions. When did you realize, Fatima, in your childhood that maybe things were, were slightly different uh, for you than maybe you know you, you kind of average mm-hmm. t- two parents 2.3 kids that you s- well, maybe see on tv or in books unfortunately we we lived in an era in the 60s where stigmatization was awful mm. um now we look for inclusion we look for early intervention but back then that wasn't the case i mean children be seen and heard and not you know obviously uh going to school in the mornings we would be uh in a line uh with the house auntie or a helper of the children's home and we would often see all the other children with their mums and dads mm. and uh and coming out wanting to share a special moment that we'd experienced in the school you'd see the kids running to their mums and dads I mean we didn't have that and the fact that we were all so lined up in the free 
school meals line and had uh, children could be quite unkind at times, you know, take the mickey. Do you remember um, the feelings at that time? Do you remember how, yeah, how, the feelings was, that you felt? It was tremendous a sea of emotion, of, 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 of emotional trauma um, and yeah. living through a period of time where, you know, as I've always said, um, it's very difficult for kids. They come into to, to children's homes and they, they're constantly asking, where's mummy? They'll cry themselves to sleep, you know, and uh, they'll, they'll wet the bed a lot. And, um, you know, obviously they're emotionally disturbed, feel, feel abandoned. And these, mo- uh, these feelings are, you know, very real to these children. You know, it's very hard to, for them to process it. it, it not, nobody ever really explained why mummy was, uh, you always thought it was your fault that uh, the reason why you end up in care. But for a lot of these children that we speak about, it's through no fault of their own that they find them in the, in the care system. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's really important to get, to, uh, use my um, uh, life experience and my platform as an Olympic athlete to emphasize and relate to the public and build that awareness, you know, and, and create that platform for children to be seen and heard so that we can try to make a difference in their lives and bringing in uh, more foster carers uh, because having that shortage is, is, is shocking this day and age when you think so many children are in the care system. We need to find that security and that love and of a home every child has that mm. that right to a safe and happy childhood there there is obviously a direct link between uh, your experiences of of care and and adoption and your career uh, given the mm. fact that your, yeah. your your mother margaret um competed in in javelin in the commonwealth games as well games. And I, I, I believe um uh coached you um she did yeah and do you see a direct link between sort of the resilience that may have been needed in your early life and the fact that a desire and a drive to push yourself as an athlete. Obviously, you've always had a love of sport. Do you think there's a direct link there between the two things? Well, there was a series of coincidences that happened for me whilst I was growing up in the care systems. I mean, uh, one of the aunties from the home, Auntie Ray, um, she was my bright shining star. I mean, she humanized us kids. I mean, she, we'd call her the tickle monster. And I would always wait, always wait in bed in the mornings when I put the sheets up above my head and wait for Auntie Ray to come and get me. And when she tickled me and, uh, uh, you know, just as well she did, I would still be there. Um, but she did, she she humanized us kids she made us feel that we were seen this was in Um, care pre-adoption yes this is pre pre pre-adoption this is auntie ray who worked as a 72 hour lady in the care system and this is so important yeah and this is why it's so important that children experience whether they're in residentials uh, or they with foster carers they can be a role model for these kids somebody they can look to so you know for support and and Mm. and and give that that child, you know, a self sense of uh, worth, you know, that they're, they're being held and their emotional needs being met, give them the confidence to, you know, to to step forward and, and succeed in what they choose to do in life. I mean, if you give a child hope, there's nothing they can't achieve. You know, that's, that's always been my belief because um, sport for me was my saviour at school. And, and that was the only thing that really helped me get through uh, uh, my early years because um, academically I was too emotionally disturbed to concentrate. Mm-hmm. And I found that I had gained so many more friends through being good at sport and the teachers also started to sit up and, and take more notice of me. And I felt a sense of self-worth and it, that was so important to me, mm-hmm. you know, to for, for my uh, fr- surviving in, 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 in that 
period of time. And in, of course, uh, that's how I met the love of the Whitbreads, mm. you know, and my mother Margaret through sport. Um, that, that, that's a story, as you know. Um, I don't know if everybody knows it, that, you know, I was playing netball and I uh, was playing a, a cup game um, of which uh, it was a very tight match. And uh, I was making a bit of a noise, motivating my team. And the whistle went and the umpire said, young lady, keep that noise down, otherwise you'll be off. <laughs> so I kind of turned around and muttered to myself. And as I was, the match was going 12 or 13, 12, 13 or um, I then started to motivate my team again. And nowadays they would call him a motivator, but back then they called us a pain in the ass. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the whistle went and uh, the umpire said, I've told you once before, I won't tell you again, you'll be off. And as I turned my back, I muttered and her team captain said, Fats, don't do it. She's really strict. She'll send you off. Yeah. Well, at the end of the match, we won. Yay. Got my first medal ever. <laughs> and uh, and which I wanted to give to Auntie P, Auntie Ray. And then, of course, I said to a friend of mine who lived in the home around the corner, why don't we go to the local athletic club? The athletic season started. So as we sort of got to the gate, Alma went off to to the sprinters I went off because I saw a very nice tall look good looking young man throwing what looked like a spear mm. I headed over there and as I went to pick up the javelin uh, I said you can't do that and because like all kids you know live in the care systems you're quite feisty and you stand up for your rights a bit and I said why not so he turned to the shot put coach who said you've got to sit in the stand and wait for the javelin coach to come so I'm sitting in the stand, toe tapping, waiting. And then he said, oh, here comes the javelin coach. So this little mini pulled in and this person got out the car. And as they walked across the infield, I did a double take. And, oh, no, it's that same woman on the netball court. Mm. <laughs> and I thought she's never going to let me throw. And as she got over to the stand, Jack introduced us. And before Jack could say my name, she said, I know who you are. She said, you're Phantom, aren't you? She said, well, let me tell you, young lady. Any of that behavior you showed on the netball court here, she said, you won't be throwing any javelins. Yeah. So I sort of cut my hands together and I told her, no, no, no. I said, I definitely want, you know, to throw. And of course, uh, um, within a couple of weeks, she was saying to me, you've got a bit of talent. You should ask mum and dad to bring you up, you know, come up and let's talk about doing a, mm. a competition program. And I just sort of nodded my head. And then she said to Jack, is Fatma got a hearing problem? So Jack said, no, why is that? Oh, well, every time I, I say to her about mum and dad, she just nods her head. Mm. Ah, he said, don't you know, she lives in the children's homes. And with that, the following week, she came up the track. She threw a pair of boots down. She said, look, I had a young girl that's retired. She said, these javelin boots, probably two sizes too big. Don't worry, stuff them with paper. Mm. And here's a javelin. Well, I was so keen to get back to the children's home. Because as I said, in the summer, some of these children would go home because they were only short stay. Those that didn't have uh, families to go home to, they were still in the, in the home. And the house parents would go off it in the summer and we had German students that looked after us. And I said to Ingrid, come out in the garden. Let's, let's, I want to show you how I throw this javelin when I'm up at the track. And it took me a couple of throws to get it up to the, the top end of the garden. And as I pulled it out the vegetable patch and pulled a spud off the end of the spear I said to her move out of the way I'm going to give it a really big throw now so of course I did and it went smash right through the French windows and Ingrid standing there with her head in her hand saying you're going to be in trouble and I thought yeah probably will be because I was quite outspoken as a child in the home because I saw it as my 
responsibilities, one of the older ones at five to or six um, from that age to start sticking up for the injustice that were happening in the, in the home at times. Yeah. And I have, I've, I then got a month span when they got back and uh, I was told that, uh, that I couldn't go out. And so that meant all my after school sports was uh, put on held mm. and I couldn't have a cup of tea and a biscuit with auntie Ray who looked after me. Um, in, and then a message got through to me. Um, one of the team players said, Mrs. Whitbread thinks you've bunked off. Uh, with the javelin and boots and sold them and you're not interested anymore mm. so I thought oh I can't have that so I got up at two o'clock one morning in the home went down crept down the stairs went into the French bureau and pulled out what in my ignorance that an MO envelope and I put dear Mrs Whitbread sorry I can't come up at the track uh, I smashed the French windows but one and I got a month's band so but one day I want to be the best javelin thrower in the world <laughs> and <laughs> I stuck it down and put St. Chad's School, uh, Mrs. Whitbread St. Chad's School. And then, of course, uh, I waited. And within a week, I was thinking, oh, she's not got the letter. She couldn't have got it. Yeah. And then I heard the, the the telephone ring. So I was in the garden. So I pushed my ear and pressed it on the glass window and started to listen to what was being said. And and, uh, and her house auntie was going, no, no, no. She's been naughty. She smashed the window. She's not allowed to come up. So Mrs. Whitbread must have been pretty persuasive. Because within a, a week, I was back uh, at the track throwing. And then she said to me, would you like to come and have tea with the family? Wow. And I thought, that's lovely. So I, I, I went to have tea with the family. And I met the, the two sons, Greg, uh, who was four, and Kirk, too. And, and my late dad, who John, who was, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the husband for Mrs. Whitbread. And with when we were going back that evening, she said, would you like to stay for a couple of weeks through the summer? And I said, that would be really nice. And I was always very good with kids anyway. So I, I had a lot to, you know, of, of interaction with the two boys and it just gelled. It seemed to work really well. Yeah. And and um, as I was leaving to go back to the children's home, Greg, the elder boy said, oh, mum, do we have to take Fats Fatima back to the to, to the shop <laughs> so so when I was my, when Margaret took me back to the children's home on the way back she said now she said how would you like it if you became a Whitbread and come and live with us mm. and I was just like is this for real you know because it's really hard uh, when you live in the care system for 14 years to suddenly feel you know there's this one thing that you've always wanted in your whole life, and that's to be a part of a family, to have your own family. And yeah. uh, the chance of that given to me by the Whitbreads was, uh, you know, fate, really. And, of course, as you said, I mean, my mum was also javelin thrower, and as mum and coach, athlete and daughter, we there wasn't anything we didn't achieve. World record, world champion, European champion, double Olympian. Mm. And, 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 of course, in 1987 having won the, the BBC Sports Personality Year Award, which is very rarely won by women. I think Princess Anne was just before me and then Virginia yeah. Wade. And I was voted Sportswoman of the Year worldwide, which was fantastic. And hence the reason why now, you know, as I said, using my lived experience 
uh, and my platform as a, a, a world champion to, to bring about this awareness, to build this platform for these children so they can tell you what there is they want and to also bring about an understanding how important it is that the difference you can make to these young children's lives if you just step up and and take the opportunity to foster this child. I've had many mm. friends that have been in foster care for years. Uh, you know, the misconceptions are numerous, but I still believe, I mean, even with those misconceptions, it's it's worked throughout all those different areas. Uh, it, it, the children having that love and security of, 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 a, of a home is it, it's, it's a most wonderful thing to be able to do for a child. You know, it's very rewarding. So get online, national foster groups, check it out. They'll explain it all, the process and how you can go about doing that. And why wouldn't you give these children a chance, you know, mm. to to have the loving security of a, of, a, of a family? Thank you so much for sharing that story, Fatima. It's so great. And that that feeling when your adoptive mother, Margaret, turned around and, and said, oh, do, well, do you just want to come and be part of our family? That must have been absolutely amazing. Uh, Steve Christie is the CEO of National Fostering Group. And Steve's here as well. I mean, I'm, I'm enraptured by that story, Steve. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It is it, incredible. It just it just goes to show how what amazing work fostering can do you know if you if you take a child and and you give them what we all take for granted you know a loving caring home and you give them that stability that they need they can go on and do incredible things and I'm old enough to remember when Fatima won a world championship gold Mm. medal and Olympics and broke the world record and the whole country was absolutely uh enraptured by 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 watching her she brought the whole country together and and you know it's just to show what what can be achieved if you if you do give these children that so desperately need that uh, that uh, love and and care if you give them that that stability they can go on and do amazing things i think there are lots of people who would maybe consider becoming foster parents who for various reasons haven't taken the leap um I, I know having chatted to friends and people who have considered either adoption or fostering that one of the big sort of concerns is the process of, of kind of um, the invasive process that some would describe of, of getting set up as a carer. And there seems to be a lot of sort of misinformation out there about that. What would you say to people who who have entertained the idea, who have thought, oh, maybe we could do that, but maybe haven't taken the leap into doing their own research or have a couple of concerns about the process of becoming a carer? I mean, there is a very thorough process to assess the foster carer and, and there needs to be, you know, I, I think, reasons, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I lead this organisation and I, I wouldn't let anybody become a foster carer with our organisation unless I would trust them to look after my own children. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, there's the... the the process we hold your hand through the whole process you know it, it's a it's a process of getting to know you and, and understanding you and your family and understanding how it would be for a child to be placed in your home but i think the main one of the main challenges we have in this desperate situation where we've got this real shortage of foster carers in the northeast and across the country uh you know there are a lot of people who've considered being a foster carer but have ruled it out for for misconceptions about fostering so you know the phrase that we we use is if you've got the love in your heart and the space in your home then you could be a foster carer and and but there are lots of people that think you know for example if you're a single person that you can't be a foster carer or perhaps they think you're too old or you're too young to be a foster carer none of that is true you know you can be from the lgbtq plus community you can have a disability you can have a job you can 
not have a job you know fostering is a great way of earning a living we've got a lovely fostering agency in the northeast in framwellgate moor called reach out care and mm-hmm. they pay a, a minimum of 500 pounds uh, per week per child to foster carers so it is it is a, a way of earning a living nobody comes into fostering because they want to make money out of it but it is a way that you can t- make an amazing difference to children and you, you can also earn, earn a living out of it so i think that's what this campaign is all about is just to get if, if you have got a preconception about fostering i don't know why it is one of my friends said to me once i've heard you can't be a foster carer if, you, if you're a foster carer you're not allowed to have any alcohol in your house which which <laughs> is which is complete nonsense you know yeah. we just want normal people um you know if you've got your own children that's fine you know so many birth children get a massively positive experience uh, having a foster child in their home because they don't uh, any longer take for granted the fact that all the things that you know if they if they, a child turns up on the doorstep with a black bin liner with a few tatty clothes and a teddy bear and that's all they've got in the whole world then uh, th- what an example that is for birth children is to you know to to to, to a- absolutely appreciate everything that they've got so I think that's the main thing is just just if you could just reach out and have a conversation, you know, people can we can introduce uh, uh, if somebody was interested, we can introduce them to an existing foster carer. We do uh, uh, sort of sessions where we talk about fostering. You know, we can get somebody to come and visit you. You can come and visit us in the office. Um, and uh, and even if it's not for right now, maybe it's for six months or a year or two years time. You know, it's good to to start that conversation. And what's the first step if someone's listening to this and goes, oh, I want more information, I want to look into it, and they're in the Durham area or in the northeast, what is the, the first thing that they should do? Just go online, search National Fostering Group or nfa.co.uk. There's lots of information on there. Uh, there's a button that says inquire now. So click on there, just enter your, enter your information and we'll, somebody will get back to you uh, within a couple of days, absolute maximum, and uh, and then start that conversation. And uh, yeah, I think there's so, so much uh, that you can make such a difference. There'll be somebody listening to this now who who will be able to totally change the life of a child. And, and that's a hugely powerful thing. And, and and so so good for society you know if you can take give that child that loving uh, background uh, and uh, care, give them the care they need they'll go into adulthood and who knows maybe they could uh, be our next world champion like uh, like <laughs> Fatima was absolutely and just before we finish Fatima you mentioned to me briefly yeah. before we came on the radio that you've got a you've got a sporting link to Durham I have indeed I mean that's where I've won my first national schools uh, championships in Durham County and it was my first experience also of staying with another family Um, I wasn't uh, long having been you know with the Whitbreads and uh, yeah then I got a second chance of uh, learning to live uh, with a family uh, (laughs) only be it because they were looking after us uh, during a period of time we were competing but so yeah it was a yeah, it was lovely. I mean, I love I love Durham. Well, Durham we're gonna we're gonna claim that now. There'll be a there'll be a statue of you in the marketplace by four o'clock. <laughs> your hours now. Uh, Fatima Whitbread, uh, MBE. Thank you so so much for coming on and discussing this really really important issue. We really appreciate your time and thank you for being so generous in in your in your sharing. Yeah. As well, well uh, as long as they get online and get out there and help these young children find a fa- family for these young children, let's do it because that's what's the most important thing. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Fatima Whitbread. And thank you very much to Steve Christie as well from National Fostering Group. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Your county, your station. The Durham Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Durham on air.
You're locked in a strange room. Time is against you. You need to get out, and there's only one way to do it. Have you got what it takes to discover the clues, solve the puzzles, and escape before the clock runs out? Then step into Escape Rooms Durham and see if you can unravel the mystery of Mr. Borrowdale's study or steal the formula in the lab heist. Escape Rooms Durham is the perfect challenge for families, friends, colleagues and birthdays. Find out more at escapedurham.co.uk Then come and escape from Escape Rooms Durham on Sadler Street in Durham City Centre.